0: folks it's blammo i'm jeremy kirkland how you doing look if you're new here welcome this is a show about people wearing clothes and i get it it's a fun pod i get the pleasure to talk to folks about this all the time so uh welcome how are we all doing bit of an interesting week uh if you're if you're a listener i'm sure i'm sure you're all aware i've been on this big beatles kick lately i'm just blasting the fab before non-stop and uh i'm in the car with my five-year-old And uh, I mean, it's like kids are kids are wild, man. But she was like, Dad, why are there no girls in the Beatles? And I was like, oh, snap. Um, I'm like, well, you know, Yoko and John did a band later. And then, you know, Linda and Paul were in a band. And I'm trying to tell her about Wings and stuff. But I just paused for a moment and realized that my daughter loved the Beatles, too. But she wanted this deeper connection, right? It, It really hit me. I was like, God! I was like, representation really matters, <laughs> you know. I mean, she was like, "Well, are there are there other like girl rock bands?" And I'm like, "Oh, dude, homie, have you ever heard of Heart?" So I played Heart, blew her mind, you know, crazy on you, you know it. But look, I digress. Kids, man, wild. Enough about that stuff. So this week, I had the absolute joy and pleasure of talking with Liz Jardina, the creative director of Another Tomorrow. First off, and you'll hear me say this at the beginning on the pod, Liz was actually one of my earliest friends I made in New York. And yes, took me to my first fashion show way back in the day. I told her it was 2007, but uh, I looked at my emails and whoa, I was wrong. It was 2006. Not like a year matters, but you know, 17 years, fam. That's a long time. (laughs) She's an incredible designer and I'm so glad to have her on this week. Liz and I discuss her philosophy on clothing design, the appeal of the uniform, her early career at Halston and Derek Lamb, why she doesn't feel the desire to compete with European fashion houses, her love of sneakers, and how she's evolving the brand Another Tomorrow. All right, let's go. You're probably the f- person I've had on that I've known the longest, I think, because I met you in 2007.
1: Wow, I can't believe you remember the year. But yeah, we have known each other for a very long time.
0: Yeah, I mean, and I think you you were always in the industry. Other people I've met and I've known them for a long time, but they've, they've had various careers. But I don't know if you know this, you took me to my very first fashion show. It was Chato Ralph Rucci, and you mm-hmm. took me there. And I was your mm-hmm. guest. I was at the very first, this was when it was, I think it was like Mercedes Benz Fashion Week, but it was New York Fashion Week at Bryant Park and I went to the show and I was like your guest. And it was, it was awesome.
1: Yeah. I mean, that's a different time, right? That was in the tents.
0: <laughs> yeah. Um,
1: Ralph Rucci was at that time had a, had a large business and he had a, like a beautiful, elaborate show. I remember, I remember that very, very clearly. Oh my God. Thank you. Wow.
0: <laughs> <laughs> I, totally I don't forgot. know. If that's a, yeah.
1: <laughs> no, I just forgot about even going to the show. I remember now I remember going to the show. I remember going to the show with you and how beautiful the show was.
0: Yeah. I mean it was it was it was cool but I I don't think I I mean I was always into clothes and I was into fashion and stuff but you know in terms of you were the only person that I'd known that basically had it as their career since I've known you I mean cuz w- were you at Halston then
1: Yeah so I was designing for Halston when oh my god there was so much happening when we were trying to bring that brand back um so it mm-hmm. went through several different ownerships um and I think at that time it was owned by a private equity group. Uh, Harvey Weinstein was an owner. Tamar- Tamara Mellon was an owner. Sarah mm-hmm. Jessica Parker got involved. Um, so shortly around there, I-, I think that was 2008, actually. Okay. Um, and yeah, I was working on reviving that brand.
0: Yeah. Mm-hmm. You, was it Was it fun? <laughs>
1: um, so I actually did not go to school for fashion. I went to school for sculpture.
0: That's right. At WashU.
1: At Washington, yeah. So Washington University in St. Louis. So I see the first 10 years of my career as um, like graduate school. Um, mm-hmm. And I think that experience was really helpful for me. I started working for the brand out in L.A. Um, right after I graduated from school. Um, I was the only assistant there. I was overseeing an atelier and coming back and forth between L.A. and New York, um, And then when we parted ways with that designer, I moved to New York and then I was traveling between New York and Florence and then also going to Hong Kong because we were doing a collection, like a ready to wear designer collection. And then after a while, we started doing this lower price line. So it was just like a huge education from like made to measure Bergdorf Goodman, which is how we started doing a designer collection, having runway shows, and then doing like a secondary contemporary collection out of Asia. Mm -hmm. So all three of those things I learned on that job. And so I I learned a tremendous amount. It was also, there was a lot of different ownerships as I was there. It was very difficult. It was very up and down. Um, And I think more than anything, it kind of taught me to trust my instincts and like dig in and deal.
0: (laughs) Yeah, well, I was going to say, yeah. I mean, how do you find your way in fashion if you go to school for sculpture?
1: Yeah, I mean, in some ways, I I was very lucky to go to WashU and I went to WashU on a scholarship. so I was tremendously lucky. But then I also felt like this itch to get out of St. Louis. And, oh, yeah, I know um, how that is. <laughs> and I, you know, I mean, the itch is really great when you're 18, right?
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Um, so I really wanted to come to New York. I wanted to go to Europe. I wanted to go to Asia. And I thought the art program at WashU was really strong. And there was a faculty member named Ron Lex who had the sculpture department. And I just like got along with him really well. And he became a mentor to me and allowed me to sort of craft whatever program I wanted in terms of what materials I was working with, who I was collaborating with. So I decided to do kind of apparel focused sculpture. Um, Mm. I knew in undergraduate school that I was going to go into design. Um, And then I feel like having that foundation of three-dimensional art is just tremendously helpful when you're creating anything three-dimensionally. So, it was a pretty natural transition into fashion because I had I had the vocabulary to talk about three-dimensional design. I had to like, you know, stand up in critiques for 2 years and defend my work and speak about my work. So, it was really helpful to have that fine art background. So, I didn't really feel like it was that much of a transition to be honest.
0: But were you were you always into fashion like before going to school for art like
1: Yeah. Um I did a lot of dancing growing up and something happened when I was, I was in this dance company in St. Louis when I was in the time I was eight through 16 and something happened where all of a sudden my interest kind of flipped from movement to garments Um, and it became, it became like a real fascination with how garments looked on the body when the body was moving and certain choreographers that I felt like you use costume really well. A Martha Graham or an Isadora Duncan or Catherine Dunham, who is from St. Louis. Um, so like particularly women. Uh, and then I just became really interested in, in dress and more like personal style than quote unquote fashion and how mm. people present themselves. Um, and that became really interesting to me. And that continues to be really interesting to me. I'm, I'm much more interested in how people put themselves together, what you feel really good in um, building a wardrobe making your life less complicated than I am I would say in fashion for digital or like design for digital or like the way a lot of people consume fashion now or disposable fashion yeah
0: yeah cuz from when i met you to where you are now i mean you've always for at least for me have had more or less like a uniform like you have a look and you've worked at you know very different houses over the course of your career mm-hmm. but you still look like you how, how, um, how do you go about doing that? As Because I don't know, I mean, how much you've dig into the pod with this stuff, but so many people are always trying to figure out, like, it sounds tacky, but like what their personal style is. And I think, at least for me, most of my journey with that was just going headfirst into every designer. And I still don't even know where I'm kind of ending up. I mean, I'm talking to you in a bizarro block printed linen <laughs> shirt. I mean, I look like I live in Del Boca Vista and I'm fine with that, I guess. But like you, you, it's your, you're very honed in.
1: Yeah. Um, So I would like to, at the end of my life, design my way out. Um, So I want to end up, this is a deep desire with an extremely edited closet. And I actually am really envious of menswear and a lot of men that I know because they're way further along on that journey than I am, maybe because they don't care because, you know, men's fashion is so different than women's in so many ways and there's somewhat less less options. Um, mm. So, I mean, I don't know if you went to the George O'Keefe show at the Brooklyn Museum.
0: I did not, but I heard quite a bit about it.
1: It was amazing. There was like a rack of clothes and it was like the same garment in multiple colors and then white shirts with different mother of pearl buttons on them with collars, you know, without collars, etc. And I was like, that's, that's what I want my closet to be at the end of my life. So I feel like I'm constantly like trying to find it. Um, And the kind of design that's interesting to me, um, or is the most interesting to me is the kind of design where you see somebody like, oh my God, the way that she's wearing that white shirt and that pair of pants is just so effortless and perfect. Not, oh, I love, you know, this new sparkly thing on that dress. Um, So it's about, it's about trying to find the perfect thing. Um, and sort of like a less is more mentality. But I do think that there are moments where finding something perfect for a wedding or for an event, like that emotional garment is really important as well. I just don't think you need a a lot of those in your wardrobe. I think there's so much that you can do with really simple pieces.
0: Yeah, I mean, I admire anyone who has a uniform, but I feel like I got more into fashion because I didn't ever want to wear a uniform. So I'm like kind of in this weird catch twenty (laughs) two.
1: Um, I you know, I wish I had a uniform. I, I think that I'm I'm getting there, but I am also always trying things. Um, and I also think that throughout the day I'm forever restyling. I'm untucking, you know, I'm unbuttoning the shirt, I'm flipping the collar. Like it's a, you know, an evolving process throughout the day. Um, and I'm never quite happy. <laughs> it's always like, oh, but what if I tweak that one thing?
0: Yeah. I mean, so how, how do you agree what's good enough? to be designed right because you're at you're at halston for a long time then you jump over to Derek lamb mm-hmm. and which is also similar but very i mean I, obviously Derek lamb and the halston stuff is is you know there there's i feel like Derek lamb at least for me and the stuff that you had done it's it's much more wearable than like event large thing this is like everyday life
1: mm-hmm. yeah for a certain woman yeah
0: yeah define the certain woman
1: <laughs> well, i mean for the woman that has the ability to afford those clothes. Yeah. When I went to Derek, I, I helped Derek, um, expand the business and launch a collection called 10 Crosby, which was commercially quite successful. Um, and it just, it introduced a lower price point into his brand, which really helped the reach of his brand. Um, but he's such a good designer and such a disciplined person. It was Mm -hmm. great to work with him because it was really about the practice of design from somebody who is interested in every part of the process, from concept to sketching, to draping, to fitting, to executing the final garment. So it was it was tremendous. I mean, it, it just, just to be with somebody who really loves all, all parts of it and, and doesn't deem any part of the design process as something that he's sort of grown out of or isn't interested in anymore, that was really cool to see um, and really made me truly fall in love with making clothes um, in a way that I don't think I had before. Um, just like an example is that like, Derek would make his own specs, you know, so he would draw the garment mm-hmm. and then he would not always, I mean, he, he there was designers that were, you know, working with him on his runway collection, but he would draw the garment then he would draw the flat, the technical drawing, and then he mm-hmm. would actually put in the measurements oh. um, as he was so specific. And I was like, that's fantastic. You know, just that ownership of, of the garment because a lot of people that a lot of designers or creative directors will say, this is my vision, please execute, you know? And then there are creative directors that are forever designers and he is a forever designer, creative director, which I loved working with him for that reason. And, and I feel like I'm very much the same way. Yeah. I um, think
0: you just hit the nail on the head because a lot of people, the word like fashion designer, it can some, for some people can be pejorative for some, it's like, you really don't understand exactly what that entails anymore. I think a lot of menswear designers are really just editors or they're stylists. And I don't say that to belittle them. I say that in that when it comes to actually manufacturing clothes, this is entirely separate from just the business of running a business. But like, you know, some people are like, oh, I can do tech packs. I worked at Ralph Lauren and I learned how to do tech packs. And I'm very good at that, Mm -hmm. which is basically like getting something set for a factory to mass produce. But like having the ability to sketch and then to figure out what fabrics work with that, and to then be a part of every aspect of that production into knowing exactly how it needs to fit and the constant refinement of it, I think is something that I don't know if it exists with many menswear designers. Someone might clap back at me, but like, I don't know. I mean, you're, you're, there's there is a level of involvement that you are in that I don't think is as common for most men's designers
1: yeah i i think i i don't know if that's the case i'm sure there are plenty of menswear designers that are drawing and draping well maybe not draping but drawing and
0: maybe rick owens i'm trying to think well
1: rick yeah i mean rick owens is like the best example of a a designer who really owns the, the whole creative process right yeah um but that's not traditional menswear it's a little bit different um if you're taking a shirt and you're constantly iterating on a shirt you might not need to draw you know you may say like take the collar off make it a band collar change this cuff to a French cuff, you know, and then it becomes something completely different. And you can do that on a flat, right? But for me, and I think for a lot of women's wear designer, designers, people that love to design product, it's, it's meatier than that. It's, you know, who is she? Where is she going? How is she living her life? It's these questions that you're asking yourself. And in order to fulfill those questions, to answer those questions, you have to, you have to draw, I have to draw, or you have to drape, or you have to collage. It's like, I, I always feel like you have to kind of like scratch to, to find her a little bit. Like you might know her, but like, it takes like a minute to be like, oh no, that that's who she is, you know, and she's mm-hmm. wearing that. And I think that I feel like I've, I've constantly gotten better and better at design because I'm really focused on, is the customer really wearing this? And do we have the right balance of the clothes that she's going to wear all the time, every single day? And also, um the emotional product that she's going to wear like here and there for something very special. And I've like the older I get, the more life experience I have, the more sort of complex the world gets in my life gets, the more I'm really laser focused on designing for the woman that I'm designing for.
0: How often is the woman you're designing for yourself? A lot. I mean, yeah. now
1: a lot. I mean, this is the first job I've had where I feel really connected to the customer.
0: At another um, tomorrow.
1: And another tomorrow. And it's an interesting brand for so many reasons. But one of the things that drew me to the brand is the creator, the founder, Vanessa Barboni Halleck. When I met her and I saw how she presented, um, which is really impeccable and beautiful and very focused. I thought to myself, oh, if she's wearing the product, she wants to continue to wear this product. I really, really like how she's put together. I want to design for that person. And I feel like I am, I'm not her, but I, I can dip into the same wardrobe and make it de- something different for myself.
0: Yeah, because I think for some people, they'll think about fashion as, you know, I'm, I'm going to purposely be stereotypical in the mm-hmm. sense that like, oh, I'm just meeting a need that someone needs. So this is more function. And others are like, no, 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 no. I'm going to approach fashion as a way to inspire and, as a, and to make someone see this where they want to improve themselves versus, oh, you're just going to, you made a pant that fits my phone. You know what I mean? There's like, there's different camps. And I'm curious how often you walk those two paths or if you at all.
1: I mean, I think what what is the focus for me is feeling like you look the best that you can look, loving your clothes and making your life easier. Being able to open your closet or open your luggage. And there there's just so many options there for you. And everything yeah. is not complicated. I mean, I always say that my focus on another tomorrow is sort of calm in the chaos. And- yeah. There's just so much information that's being thrown at us all the time. And I don't think, you know, as this emerging brand, we can compete with the European brands, nor do I think we should try to. And I think we have to be really focused, really clear, um, and really calm and show women, you know, this is four options for beautiful shirts. And this is the only shirt that you really need, you know, or one of these four is the only shirt that you really need. Like making things like just simpler and easier. So and I think it's because that's like a desire that I deeply have. I'm just, like, I feel overwhelmed with information and I want to get dressed quickly in the morning, feel great about what I'm wearing and have an easier life.
0: Yeah. You mentioned not competing with the European brands. What Can you elaborate on that?
1: I think that in the US with a few exceptions, you know, maybe Marc Jacobs, Michael Kors, mm-hmm. um, it's really hard to compete with European luxury groups because they have fragrance and accessories and they do that really well. And I think in the U S we have struggled to do that well. And there's Agreed. just bigger, yeah. there's just bigger budgets to have big shows, big events, bring in all kinds of people for those events, just huge marketing budgets. And, you know, right now I'm at a, you know, very new brand. And I think we're trying to do things very differently in a lot of ways. And we have to be really focused and clear about every decision that we make and not, just sort of do more, right? In fashion, there's a lot of like, do more, just compete with this this house because this is what they do. Um, but sometimes that doesn't make the most sense. So we're being very careful and thoughtful about how we spend money, how we show up for the fashion community, or when we do show up for the fashion community, how important that is to us, um, et cetera.
0: No, I mean, I think that's definitely speaks to at least a larger demographic of, of women in the US that I think, there's a few different women I know who I consider very, very, very stylish, like people that are, that are locked in. And they have the money to get the Chanel and whatever. And the only thing they want is the bag. And that's it.
1: But mm-hmm. in terms
0: of clothes, in a weird way, the European brands for them, and I, and there's a person who's listening to this who will message me afterwards, but like the European brands for them, they're like, no, that's too accessible. Like In a weird way, they want their clothing brands to be a brand that Is kind of a little bit under the radar, and is a little bit if you know you know because for some people wearing their clothes they want to also it used to just be oh I'm going to communicate my wealth and now it's like well but I'm also I'm going to you know I'm going to communicate my own sense of style and my own and and the fact that like you can you can connect all these other things versus like you're wearing new Louis Vuitton and you're just covered in LV right Mm -hmm. and I feel like a lot of the European brands over the past few years especially from people like Demna and Vetements and, and all the stuff that had come from that. Like this, taking all these in, uh, inspirations from streetwear, so all over logos, very, very loud fashion. And for most of the stylish women I know, they're like, mm, no, I don't think I'm going to do that. Like they're going to sporge on a bag, but that's it. And so in a weird way, I feel like you're in a better position than some of these companies because they want to look smaller. They want to look... um you know they want, they're making sub collections to diffuse from the larger ones, and you mm-hmm. guys have your own collection. You and you check every box in terms of you know the B Corp, the the, the climate neutral, the one percent for the planet. Which obviously, I mean, I don't think you're going to see that. You, you think LV is going to be a B Corp or something? I mean, let, let's just be honest, right? Mm-hmm. And it's very strange because there's like this whiplash effect from like loud, ostentatious, expensive for being expensive women's wear. It, I don't know, but I feel like Another Tomorrow and there's a few other brands I can think of that are in this really good position because also a lot of your clothes feel very timeless. Like I'm not looking like, mm, yeah, that's spring, summer 24. Oh yeah, that that's, that's it. You know, if someone wears it in 27, right? It's, right, it's, right. Yeah.
1: I mean, I have a closet. I mean, I'm exaggerating here, but I have, let's just say, I have a lot of button down shirts that I have designed for other people that never sold because I would design, you know, a button down shirt in whatever fabric and buyers would mm-hmm. come in and say, we don't come to X brand because you make shirting.
0: Oh, so are those, are those buyers still buying for the same company?
1: Yeah. Because, you know, oh, yeah? you okay. your brand, because you make emotional product. Right. Oh. Um, and I was always like, you know, I just, I just want the shirt. Um, I don't want the dress with the gathering and the, you know, whatever cutout or whatever it is um, mm-hmm. in the same fabric. Other people want that. And I think that that's great. I just, I just want the shirt. Um, so it's such a pleasure to work for a company where we make crew neck t-shirts, button down shirts, you know, men's pants, you know, I'm expanding on all of this and trying to add a little bit more emotion, um, trying to expand her wardrobe, which we're, you know, in the next year going to be unrolling all this new product, which is great, but it's such a pleasure to make product that I want to wear every day and not have to get that from someplace else. Yeah. Well, I was just I just had lunch last week with Derek Lamb and he was saying to me, remember when we would like design a sweater and then we would have conversations and then it was like, Well, they're not gonna buy that sweater for us, so we have to add something to it. There was a great article in the Times about this years ago. I think it was in the Times about this period like 10 years ago where everything had to be like quote unquote emotional, which I use that word yeah. in a different way. It was like suddenly there's like huge zippers on sweaters, and I'm like, I don't want to wear a sweater with a zipper. I don't recall that happening so much in menswear, but in women's wear, everything got really tricky. It was like, there's like cutouts everywhere and like asymmetry and zippers and yeah. different color top stitch. And I felt, you know, often very like lost in that. Um, so, you know, I'm so just happy to design a shirt and to talk about the collar on a shirt.
0: <laughs> yeah. You know, like
1: that's what men's designers get to do.
0: Yeah. I mean, I think, I think that's fair. It's just in terms of, with the landscape of women's wear, there's there's just been this, I mean, I don't know, maybe the emotional thing. Maybe that was what I was trying to get at. But like, it, it's just too noisy and it's too loud. And I, I feel like the larger houses are struggling to compete with that stuff because they're also too big. And I think that's a weird thing. Like, is there, do you think that there's like a sweet spot that a brand wants to strive towards until they get so big that they're just dependent on, yeah, fragrances and resort collections and um, you know, weird VIPs and then like, you know, backdooring stylists 50 grand a month so they can put it on, you know, whomever. And it just becomes this kind of like a messiness that like I feel struggles to maintain the original point of the brand. Like you you lose your soul when you're so focused on a thousand mm-hmm. different aspects just to make the revenue to spin the plate that you're known for.
1: Yeah. I mean I'm not a I'm not a business person. I have never worked at a European luxury um, fashion house. I do think that there's something that's really important to me about designing clothes, which is connecting with the customer. Um, and I strive to design clothes for women right now. Hopefully, men in the future that I like. I want to have a drink with. You know, like that's mm. my whole thing. Is like I, I strive to make clothes for people that I would be thrilled to sit next to at a dinner party that I find really interesting and intriguing. Um, and you know, to make clothing that they like to wear. And sometimes, you know, that might be the fashion customer, but sometimes it may be somebody who is not interested in fashion. They just want great quality product. And that is what moves me and like, you know, what gets me excited to go to work every day. Um, You know, what wakes me up in the middle of the night, you know, wondering if it's the right shade of cream, you know, but (laughs) the like growing just to grow, just to be bigger. I mean, I feel like that's just like, you know, that's just like capitalism. Like these companies are never... They're never going to be satisfied. They need every year it needs to be bigger. I mean, look at what happened with Gucci, right? Yep. They had like a little soft period and then everything changed after so much growth.
0: Wait, wait, wait a second. I got to get my bids in on the bezel app, but more on that in, in a minute. I get all sorts of emails and questions from you all, which I love to read and respond. And one thing I constantly get and even read in the Blamo slack is what watch should I buy and where should I get it? It's a wild world out there with all sorts of websites and shops, but I go to Bezel. Bezel is the trusted marketplace for buying and selling your next luxury watch with expert in-house authentication on every purchase. First off, folks, it's getbezel.com. That's getbezel.com. But I use and recommend Bezel because it's the best of both worlds. You can go to the site and browse a marketplace of luxury watches, over 16,000 of them, by the way, which is a lot. And I know that bezel is going to authenticate your purchase, or you can create an account and get connected with your own private client advisor called the concierge. Because look, making a watch purchase can be confusing, especially when you don't know all the reference numbers. When was this made? Did they use ceramic then? Is it a triple op? dingle top? You know, what the heck? I don't even know. But they do at bezel and they're here to help concierge, baby. Look, if looking for your watch to mark a special occasion, or maybe you're just doing research, right? They even have their own journal where you can learn all the ins and outs about bezel and the brands and all the stuff that's happening right now. But back to my bids. Yes, bezel now has auctions and not just any auctions. They got Rolex, they got Cartier, they got Audemars Piguet, all the big dogs and more so you can discover, bid, and know the Bezel team has got your back with verified in-house authentication. So visit getbezel.com on your smartphone or computer, Bezel, the trusted marketplace for buying or selling your next luxury watch. Yeah, I mean, and I think the bullshit tolerance for your standard consumer is really evolving to where people are like, yeah, I don't know if I want to patronize a brand that isn't gonna have these core values or is gonna evolve so much that it's that like basically what I'm investing in isn't really gonna and I don't want to use the word appreciate, but just like it's not gonna stay as current. Cause I feel like at least oh, oh actually shit, almost every brand you've worked at, or all of them, they're it's it's very timeless stuff. It's not like, yeah, I did the the Marc Jacobs rap. And I put it on a bunch of t-shirts where like people aren't really chasing those down right now. Maybe ironically, who knows? But you know, there's, there's a timelessness of these things. And I think with, if you're a customer, like I don't really want to buy stuff that in a couple years, isn't going to fit in with even the house that I bought it from.
1: Yeah. I, I mean, I think that there's, there's all kinds of customers, right? And it's about finding the customers, finding your, your sort of tribe when you're creating a brand or mm-hmm. growing a brand. I think that, there are people that just have an insatiable appetite for fashion and they just mm-hmm. want more. And, you know, for me, like a clearer example is people that are into sneakers, right? Like I see okay. people all the time walking around in sneakers and I'm like, Oh my God, that sneaker is so cool. It's like a piece of candy, you know? Like I'm just so interested in everything about the sneaker. And then I'll, you know, whoever makes a sneaker, like I'll go and like look at their e-commerce and I just like never buy it because I'm like, I don't, want any more candy in my life you know yeah um, and it sure. feels really like of a moment and obviously in apparel there's the same thing i think that the great thing about sneakers and about accessories specifically handbags is they seem to really hold their value in ways that apparel don't doesn't because you wear apparel it falls apart It you know it it's holes nobody wants to buy repaired clothes you know it just the way yeah you know we're rougher on our clothes than we are on our handbags and you know, I'm rough on sneakers, but not everybody is. So I, I feel like there's there's a customer for so many different kinds of brands. I think you have to decide who your customer is and constantly make that person, that group of people, bring them so much joy with your product that they keep coming back for more. Um, and I think for this particular brand, For Another Tomorrow, it's really important that we give them incredibly high quality product that will last a really long time because that's just part of the way the brand was built, um, right. and that's we have to stay true to that. Like I can't start chasing other trends or other, the way other brands operate. I have to, you know, stick to our guns, which because I think the way that this brand was launched is really great, um, and we already have such a good core group of customers. So yeah, I mean, I struggle a lot with um, people that buy. Things just for like a photo or for a moment, or you know, like the brightly colored Birkin bag, you know, and then owning 20 of those like that's <laughs> that's hard for me. Um, as it seems really wasteful and it doesn't seem like product that you're really using. Um, I like product that you live in, that you depend on, that really becomes something that's valuable to you. It's like you know, your favorite mug, your favorite shirt.
0: What is your? favorite uh mug your favorite shirt
1: (laughs) well my favorite mug um there's this there's this artist um who used to be in brooklyn and then moved to la named akil um a-k-i-l and he makes Mm -hmm. the best mugs ever um and they just sort of work perfectly and i mean they're all made you know individually and no one is alike um and my favorite shirt i mean i love our shirting i love our shirting because we use organic cotton from the u.s the cotton's made in italy the shirts are made in italy um our linen is actually grown i'm wearing our linen shirt right now is grown right where we um, make the fabric and make the clothes um and everything just feels really good on
0: yeah in terms of you you mentioned sneakers earlier and I mean, what are the sneakers that you, I mean, you guys don't sell sneakers, but, you know, what are the sneakers that you're you're referring to that you tend to wear often?
1: I mean, I wear the same Hoka sneaker to run. I've been wearing that same sneaker for a long time. Um, I don't wear a ton of sneakers on the weekend. I wear a black slip-on van a lot, um, and I have an all-white shelto that I've been wearing, but I, like, crave sneakers. Like, I love to just buy sneakers but I just can't let myself do it because it just feels like something that I would wear for a second or love for a month and then I wouldn't like it anymore yeah and you know that I used to date somebody who has 500 pairs of sneakers oh yeah that's right yeah so
0: shit I'm not even I'm not even gonna lie I didn't even put that together until you just mentioned that
1: seat to like sneaker mania um and yeah but I see shoes all the time and I'm like, oh, I want that shoe so bad. I mean, it happens to be like three times a day, I want that shoe so bad. And then I'll like, I'll even like put things in a shopping cart and I'll never buy it.
0: Yeah, I was going to say, what, it, what are your steps to purchasing? You know, when, you, when you're when you shopping for yourself, what are the needs that you try to meet? Because it sounds like you, you're pretty good with the willpower. I mean, a lot of times people just click add to cart and check out. But like, what are yours?
1: Well, I mean, I've worked for great brands, so I've had wonderful clothing allowances that have allowed me to have a wardrobe that's part of my compensation. So uh, that is a huge part of my wardrobe. Um, I buy a lot of vintage clothes. So every season, I do a huge period of research before I start designing that includes vintage shopping, um, renting vintage clothes, going to everyone I know's closet, looking at their clothes. Um, And I actually tend to shop the most then for myself really Mm -hmm. okay um often i buy things for work and then i just you know i buy them myself and then just like loan loan them to work um so i buy a lot of vintage clothes i was wearing a couple of years ago i was wearing quite a bit of jill sander um so i would spend money on that
0: which Um, jill jill sander or
1: yeah the collection
0: yeah i didn't know if you meant um Jill Sander design, Jill Sander, or
1: oh no, no. I mean, I do have a lot of vintage Jill Sander, but new Jill Sander. Sorry, I didn't understand the question. New Jill Sander. Yeah. Um, I used to wear old Celine, um, and I'm excited to see what Phoebe's going to be doing now. Um, but you know, I'm pretty consistent in terms of what I like. Yeah.
0: Um, yeah. Yeah. I mean, I mean, kind of keeping up with the uniform. It sounds like you're you're so strict on the uniform that the only thing you let yourself get nuts on is sneakers, which you don't even let yourself I buy. I don't even
1: buy. No, so what I do love. First of all, I don't. I don't feel. I mean, I wish I had a uniform. I don't feel like I have a uniform yet. Um, you definitely have the uniform. <laughs> I don't
0: you feel. You definitely like I come have... on. I've yeah, I've known you for a long time. Your style, it's good. Okay, this is not a critique, but it's like, yep, that's what she wears. There's, yeah. you know, there's, you're, you're always playing with the geometry. So you have like, you know, maybe a boxy thing here or a slimmer thing here. Lots of layers. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I mean, it's great.
1: Um. Yeah. Well, I feel like it's not there yet. Um. So I'll tell you what. The one thing that I allow myself. Um. And that I love is jewelry. And like that's the candy that I'll buy. Go on. <laughs> I love jewelry. I mean, I have a ton of jewelry. I love William Spratling silver from the twenties. I love Bakelite, which I buy and never wear. I love. Antique jewelry, family jewelry, um, Victorian jewelry—I <laughs> um, love everything. I mean, there's there's not anything I don't like when it comes to jewelry. I just I I will buy things and I will buy them even though I'm not going to wear them, knowing that someday when I'm concepting a collection or doing a photo shoot, that weird earring will be perfect. I mean, yeah. I think I got through the pandemic buying earrings on Etsy and eBay.
0: <laughs> really. Yeah, yeah. I mean, jewelry, I th- I love, and I would actually probably wear more jewelry if I felt like there was more stuff for men. And I know jewelry is basically unisex anyway, but it's like some of the things I don't know. I would look like fucking what's his face, um, Johnny Depp. You know, I, I mean, if I could, no, I would just I mean, be covered that's a whole in jewelry.
1: Other level. <laughs> well,
0: yeah. I know. Yeah. See me walk around. I-
1: yeah. No, I mean, I think a, a ring on a man is really beautiful. I mean, you're wearing a wedding band, but like a yeah. signet ring, like a pinky ring is gorgeous.
0: So I used to do the... Oh, you the, have a bracelet on, don't you? Yeah, I have a bracelet on and I have a watch on. Yeah, that's um, enough. Yeah, you know, I wanted to do the pinky ring on top of the wedding band. Because like, that's yes, like the old no like literally on top oh yeah
1: oh yeah 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 that's so
0: chic. because that was like what the old 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 boys would do is you'd wear your signet ring and it would be on top like fdr did that you know but it's not like i want to be like fdr i mean geez louise but there there was okay. some cool stuff i mean prince Char- or king charles i guess now i would say he has the same thing but it's you know it's kind of like an old boy thing oh, that you basically so only chic. have one finger for your ring and that's your pinky that's
1: so chic. Um, it means like the agnelli watch over shirt you know
0: yeah, yeah, exactly. Johnny <laughs> so and Yoli. I mean, he, yeah, I mean, that was, yeah, I don't know. I feel like I'm I'm constantly looking for more ways to express myself because I get tired by whatever current thing I'm doing.
1: Yeah, I mean, jewelry for me is, it's such joy. Um, I mean, my mother loves jewelry and my grandmother loved jewelry. When I met my husband and he wouldn't move in with me for like months and months and months, I think like past a year, maybe into two years. Um, at one point, I was like, I'm just going to take all of your grandfather's jewelry. <laughs> <laughs> quite epic jewelry and he's like yeah yeah totally take it and it was you know because he was like it was actually great we had our own apartments it was fantastic um like you know the pedal did not need to be on the gas but um Mm -hmm. his grandfather had this great i still have it onyx signet um pinky ring which i wear a beautiful link bracelet with a gigantic buckle on it and he was persian so he had really good jewelry
0: yeah yeah do you wear a watch no no no, that's like that's um, such a com-
1: that's such a commitment. I know you're a watch person. <laughs> that's such a commitment.
0: Yeah. Well, I mean, it's. I know a few people who will wear watches and they just won't ever bother with you know setting it. Which I'm like, I don't. I you can skip the date or the day, but I'm like, you know, it's it is kind of nice to look down and know what time it is.
1: So I was at a vintage um, show like six years ago, and there was this gold Rolex with the tiger's eye face. Yeah. And I was like, that watch is perfect. I want that watch, and it was. So expensive. I was like, I, would, I cannot buy that. one. It's just not going to happen for me. But I was—that is was the only watch I've ever seen that I would wear.
0: I mean, that, you have good taste. I mean, that's yeah. that's extremely <laughs> extremely rare that they did those. Um, yeah, but it yeah, was I mean, th- those it are was, yeah, those are those they're hard to find. But I don't know. There's definitely this this resurgence too of tiny tiny watches. You know, people finding like vintage Cartier from like the 20s and 30s and these little you know, and also watches that more like bracelets that have a watch on them versus a watch I'm okay
1: I got that there. I have two tiny watches that are stunning um both of them have diamonds on them so they're not like I'm not gonna wear them every day and then yeah. I have a beautiful enamel and gold it's almost like a just almost like a Christmas ornament but it's actually fantastic um necklace watch oh and all of those were my grandmother's but oh. I don't wear them. Um, I think that, I think I would maybe wear the the tiny watch if I was like going to an event, but it feels a little like much for the day.
0: Yeah. Yeah. So you, you have a couple kids mm-hmm. and you know we don't have to chat about them, but <laughs> being a designer, how much did you having kids affect the way that you design clothes?
1: Immensely. Um, I just had my second child in September. I have two boys. Um, my body has been in like what I call transition the
0: last okay. five,
1: five years um, from, you know, getting pregnant, having a child after I had my first kid, I got extra into endurance sports, uh, specifically marathon running, lost so much weight, got in the best ship of my life. Pandemic happened, you know, Sure, body changed, got, you know, pandemic ended, got pregnant, just had another baby. So the evolving body has been really, really interesting in terms of how it's changed my design practice. It's made me more receptive, more open, more thoughtful. Um, my normal body—can I say that because I'm still breastfeeding, so my body is still not normal? Um, mm-hmm. My normal body is: I'm very small on top. I have a really small chest. I never wear bras, um, and then I'm a little bit bigger on the bottom, and I'm and I'm pretty tall. I'm. I have nine. So just from going to not wearing bras to wearing bras all the time, <laughs> dramatically changed the way I thought about clothes. Like I used to get really irritated and anyone who's worked with me, like merchandiser salespeople can, can totally um, remember this. And, and I'm sure they've been in moments where I've been extremely annoyed and been in the room and I'm just like, I don't want to make stuff bra friendly. I hated making things bra friendly. I was just not interested, you know? Yeah,
0: yeah. And then
1: suddenly like, you know, you body changes and you have boobs and you have to deal with them. And I just, it just really changed the way I thought about how to design for the body, um, and changed the way that I dress, you know, like I generally like to have things really open. Um, -hmm. I like to show like the top part of like my, my neck and like the top part of my chest, but then, you know, you're wearing like a nursing bra and you can't do that. So there's, it's really, I've had to really rethink a lot. And also my body has changed sizes you know I've gone I've been anything from like a four to like a 12 in the last five years
0: yeah so you How just think that?
1: You, you think about things differently The proportions that work for you when you're a four are really different than when you're a 12
0: yeah did you did it make you want to start making specific clothes for yourself for those because I feel like you know because what we call it like maternity basically like mm-hmm. Elizabeth she had there's a few like maternity things, I'm air quoting, that she just kept. And she was like, no, this is just good. It's just this really cool oversized boxy shirt. And in a weird way, her her body change made her feel a little bit more comfortable, even though she was incredibly uncomfortable during the entire pregnancy period. But she's like, you know what? Fuck it. Like, I'm just going to wear this big boxy shirt, or I'm going to wear this, or I'm going to wear this. But she still is like, there's no good clothes for pregnant women. <laughs>
1: No, there's no good closer for pregnant women. And, and everyone's pregnant differently, right? I mean, some people are, yeah, just have like exactly. a little belly and it's like easy for them. But, you know, I sort of was pregnant in both directions. Um, so like, you know, my hips were bigger. And then of course I have this huge stomach. Um, so it was really challenging. I mean, listen, being a mother is really challenging uh, for so many reasons. Um, being mm-hmm. a working mother is really challenging for so many reasons. And I love women, so much more after having my children I'm like you're all incredible whether you have children or you don't have you don't have children like I am forever like worshiping the goddess of like just female like you know what it means to be female like it's really hard um our bodies are more are, I think a little bit more complex um we have to deal with like, you can different... say that
0: yeah they are they are yeah. more complex I mean yeah, making, clothes and
1: making clothes for women is, is much more difficult than I think they make clothes for men just because of like boobs and butts and hormones and like all these things you know everything is sort of always in flux. Having a kid, it's like extreme flux. And it just makes you think about everything differently. I think about proportion differently. Think about, I think about like ease, like how like how much time I have in the morning is very different than what it was before. You know, like- Yeah, I-
0: especially if you're pumping and things like that too. I mean, I know Elizabeth, like- she basically would only wear like these other two or three different shirts because she would, and she was working at home, you know, and I'm not like violating her privacy by this, but like she would have to, you know, she's like, oh, I'm just going to wear these because they're easier to deal with when I have to pump or when I have to, you know, how, how quick and easy it is for things to get on versus some of the stuff that she'd worn in the past. That was maybe not as forgiving per se. Yeah.
1: I mean, when I was working at friends of school, or there was a dress that we did that had a little zipper down the front and mm-hmm. I actually, I wore that dress for a really long time. I just actually sold it. But it was the nicest thing that I had to wear if I had to go to an evening event and I was nursing. Yeah. So that I could unzip and nurse. Um, like right before I would run out. Or, you know, if it was like a dinner party at my house, like, you know, while the dinner party was happening. Um, but yeah, it's it's it's, it's a struggle finding clothes that work in that period, like when everything is sort of like in flux and transition. Um, but yeah, it, it's been it's been a been like extremely profound becoming a mother for me in terms of my design practice
0: yeah what about the activewear stuff because you went you all of a sudden went from being like a casual runner because we were living pretty close to each other at one point and next thing you know yeah you're running like marathons and stuff and like you and caroline or whomever else Mm -hmm. were in your running crew i mean like did, did you start to be like okay like i think i need to start making activewear or
1: Uh, well, I, I've done two activewear projects. I, when I was at Derek Lamb, I did a two year collaboration with Athleta. And when I was at Proenza, we did an activewear collaboration with Goop. So I've designed activewear and it's really fun. Yeah. It's super fun. Um, I don't live my life in activewear. I mean, sometimes on the weekend I'll put it on to make sure I exercise, but I don't like to live in spandex. Um, so I don't totally understand, um, people's like level of commitment to Spandex sometimes. Um, yeah. So no, I I mean yes, I love to I would love to design more of it. Um, it's not what I wear day in and day out. Um, so I guess the desire isn't as strong as designing, you know, sportswear.
0: But you've never you've never done like the full Tom Brown thing in which you just wear your regular clothes and run in them, right?
1: I don't know about that. What's that?
0: Oh, so there was like. Tom Brown used to basically run in his cashmere cardigans. I love that. Homie the Clown would wear his, (laughs) he'd wear his shorts. And I I will say he wasn't wearing his suiting shorts to, to be, to be clear. He would wear whatever running shorts and obviously running shoes. He wasn't wearing his trickers or whatever. But then he would have a freaking cashmere cardigan that he would run in. And I'm like, this is bullshit. Come on, but like, have I you ever that. have you ever know, done that's that? That's
1: bullshit. That's fantastic. No, not really, I like to work out in workout clothes. Like, I have workout clothes that I love that I like to work out in. I don't, yeah, I don't work out in the clothes that I design to wear during the day. Now,
0: the funny thing is, Tom Brown makes activewear stuff now. I mean, they have you know their own sort of. I don't know athleisure clothes, but homie the clown is still running around in his <laughs> in his cashmere. That's you know. so cool!
1: I love that. That's just like such commitment. I'm here for it.
0: I guess. I mean, I don't know. I guess he's cool, but he's he's at that level that he can just wear whatever he wants. And people are like, yeah, it's Tom Brown. You're 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 good.
1: I love the New York City subway when you see people that work for him, and like you can like spot them a mile away.
0: Why? Because they they appear disconnected from reality with briefcases and and metal stomping shoes.
1: Because they have to wear a uniform to work, whether they work in the design office or they work in the store. Yeah. So you yeah. can you know you can tell like the women all have these pencil skirts on and Oxford shirts, and the men have the short pants on. And I was in Tokyo once on a business trip, and he was in the same hotel I was staying at. And he walked by and there was just like a sea of people behind him. And everybody had the short pants on. I guess it was people that oh, yeah. in the office there. And I was like, that's just fantastic. I like, it was just such a cool moment. Yeah.
0: yeah. I mean, I will say that like Tom Brown's stuff still, I, I I applaud the fact that he's basically been making the same thing and it's still incredible and beautiful. And I do love the brand, but I do think it's funny because sometimes you like, I mean, I used to wear those like metal toe and metal heel trickers i don't i think they're made by i don't know what makes them now um but and you just they were you'd nearly die on them i fell down a you know a flight <laughs> of subway stairs multiple occasions and i was totally you know sober this was just regular jeremy just slipping and sliding <laughs> away i'm like paul simon just down this down the stairs it's nuts <laughs> so i don't i don't know how all those folks can can lock in um shout out to all the tv heads but yeah
1: i was at a factory that we're working with in italy a month ago and they do sweaters for tom brown and it was pretty fantastic to see how he has used that red white blue trim in just clever ways on different sweaters i was like oh, that's so good he just like found this signature and like continued to reapply it in different ways that are just it's really clever um the
0: grain thing
1: mm-hmm. yeah yeah it's very yeah. impressive um, and I think it's fascinating that he's built a career from what appears to me just like sort of twists on the Catholic schoolboy uniform, yeah, you know it's just sort i of mean Catholicism. it's Catholicism it's fascinating
0: i'm I'm waiting for his uh his acting resurgence or his filmmaking oh, right. experience that's
1: right that's right
0: yeah i mean i'm 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 team Tom, I'm down the <laughs> clown I get it, but i
1: don't I, I've yeah. never owned any of his clothes um but I always really appreciate them and i have I have a bunch so many friends that have worked there
0: Yeah, I was going to say, I have a bunch of the old, the like, we should try this, maybe not, where it's like, I had like the Tom Brown union suit and the Mm -hmm. underwear thing is then the weird multi-layered tank tops, like all these, like just samples that they made from friends of mine that work there. Mm -hmm. And a few of it, I was like, this, this makes sense. Like this, you know, like they, they would do all these bizarro socks and I don't know. I mean, it's, it's a great brand, but it's, um, I don't know. That being said, are there other designers that you admire you think of when you when you're making stuff
1: um i think that there are so many designers that i am constantly you know mostly like deceased designers that i'm constantly like looking for inspiration from um there's a lot of american examples claire mccardle jeffrey bean Norman nora bonnie Cashin. where like i just feel that those designers got the woman in the moment um mm. And I guess you know Halston would be a great example of that. Um, yeah. And is really about making clothes for their customer, and I love that relationship. Um, and I love the period of American design, like between like the fifties and the early eighties. And then in the nineties, I mean, obviously for me, Calvin Klein is a strong reference. Donna Karen is a very strong reference, um, and somebody that. I spend a lot of time looking at her work now. More and more um, early Prada, um, like designers, where are periods of their work where I feel like they were designing real clothes. I love like where I'm just like on you know you look at the runway and you're like I would wear that shirt, I would wear that skirt, and but then the way it's presented is just like new and fresh and interesting. Um, old Tommy yeah. I like um, old Margiela, but I feel like those are examples for me that are just like taking clothes that I know and presenting it in a way that's really, like, cool and interesting, less about apparel design.
0: Yeah, I agree with that. I mean, helmet laying stuff's cool, but I also feel like that's the I'm in art school answer people give to where they're, like, when you ask someone, a designer they love, and they're like, helmet laying from this era to this era, and it's like, cool, what were the things that you admired? And they're like, he just did it differently. And, like, the stuff, you, I mean, you mentioned some serious designers whom i think a lot of people neglect and may not pay attention to especially especially that specific era because a lot of people don't think at least american design happened until you know american gigolo which was freaking giorgio armani anyway like it's there's not it's it's difficult to try to to narrow down what made an american designer other than people i don't know like Perry Ellis stuff or or i mean jeffrey bean that's a very very deep cut i mean that's 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 good stuff and i think it's interesting too that it shows what you're aspiring to when you think of American designers versus just trying to find a way to reinterpret, you know, the, the Antwerp six.
1: Yeah. I mean, for me, helmet is interesting and, and Margell are are interesting because I feel like they found things like military clothes, like specifically and reworked them. Um, but when I think about a Jeffrey Bean, I think about like a dressmaker, like somebody who was really like thinking about making something new. Um, And Jeffrey Bean had this way of doing motifs and mixing motifs that I find astounding to this day, where he would find or create, I'm not sure, a floral and then mix it with a polka dot and it would look incredibly modern. Um, And there's a a real dialogue between motif and silhouette and line on garment um, that I think is incredibly unique. Uh, there's, I think on his website, you can st- I know you could, I think you could still go through and see, like, you can see all of the archive, like all, all the oh, wow. footage of the collections. Yeah. The still images I'll have to check tonight, but you used to be able to, I'm sure you can. I used to like spend like when I was a couple years ago, I would, during the pandemic, I would spend like hours just looking at it. Um, you know, in the fashion shows where four women walk out at the same time and they take the coat off yes. and throw it over the shoulder. But while you're watching, you're like, that dress is incredible. Like, that dress is genius, you know? Like, that is, like, the dress, if you're buying a dress to go to a wedding, that you want, you know? I mean, obviously, different time, you would it, you would change some things about it, um, but incredibly innovative.
0: Yeah, there's also something about that era, too. Like, I mean, I started getting really into, of course, because I'm an idiot, I got really into collecting, like, old Sears catalogs and old JCPenney mm-hmm, catalogs. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And first off, they're really expensive. But second, um, the... Uh, most of the the clothing at that time everyone was also so happy just the the images that are being portrayed i don't know what their actual lives are right but like everyone was just smiling all the time and you know i looked at that i was like okay i was like i'm gonna grab the most current issue of vogue Mm -hmm. and it's not that like people are unhappy but there's there's a lightness in these you know even like j crew right like there's a lightness in some of these older images the way that like the, the clothing also was just like there wasn't as many options, you know, like in the in the women's stuff. I mean, you look at these old I, I will find some of these pictures so you understand more of what I'm talking about. And I, I don't know. I can put it up in the pot. Well, did, like, did you
1: see Triangle of Sadness? Like the opening? Scene yes. Of the- <laughs> that was yeah.
0: Yeah. I mean, it's it is it is somewhat. Well, it's pretty true, actually, to be honest. <laughs> yeah, it's there's it's a, it's disheartening.
1: <laughs> well, it's it's funny because when I joined Another Tomorrow, the founder comes from. Um, from the finance world and she would, would you know, work on a photo. Fo- I would work on a photo shoot or something. And she would just like make sure that the model is smiling in some photos. I'm like, oh! <laughs> model <laughs> smile. Um, right. But you know, it's, it's, it's kind of interesting to think about like, why has that happened? Like people used to walk down a runway and like twirl, right. They call Pat Cleveland, the whirling dervish because she would twirl down the runway when she would model for yeah. And Jeffrey Bean and Halston and all these people. Um, and it was like real joy, like selling something and like smiling, you know. And now it's like the opposite of that. Like you don't want to look like you're selling it. Um, at least in a fashion context, you know, maybe outside of fashion it's a little bit different. But like grinning yeah, so, ear to ear on a garment is like sort of looks cheap.
0: Right? Mm-hmm. Is that, I mean, is that why you think it is? There's there's just this um, yeah, like you you wanna you wanna look expensive, so you want to be stoic?
1: I don't know. I don't know. I don't know. I thought the whole, I mean, this is a little bit off topic, but I thought the whole quiet luxury thing was really interesting. Because to me, it was like, yeah, duh, like you have a lot of money, you don't need to be flashy. Like that's been going on forever. Like, I don't know why this is everyone's talking about this. You know, <laughs> like those are just your clothes. Like that is just your t-shirt. You know, that six hundred dollar t-shirt is your t-shirt, you know? Those cucinelli pants are your pants, you know, that Laura Piana jacket is your jacket. like that's just what you wear. Everybody else wears, you know, the J. Crew version or the gap version or whatever. And I was like, why why is everybody making such a big deal out of this? Like if you have more money and you love nice things, you're going to buy nice things. That doesn't necessarily mean that you want everyone to see that they're nice things, you know?
0: Well, I think that's, that's the thing is, is historically, I mean, what you're talking about is old money and new money, you know, Mm -hmm. is new money wants people to know, hey, I belong here. So check out my vet months and my triple S's and all these things, which are very unique. And you're like, yep, that person's rich. They have, or, you know, I'm coming in with all my LV bags and all my Dior and all that stuff. And so you look, you look rich. And just seeing someone in a knit polo. And also, I think brands like Uniqlo and Gap and all these people have been able to make excellent knitwear for a very, very Mm -hmm. affordable price. And so unless you were comparing them side by side, a knit polo was a knit polo, but oh, sorry, this is knit vicuna and it's $15,000 is definitely a flex. And I think like that's this weird thing where all of a sudden it almost kind of goes back to my, one of my original points I was making where people want to dress, but they just want to be, um, I don't know, they want to be more, a little more subtle about it. Um, but I think it's also people are just going to buy whatever the houses make. So if the houses, you know, I mean, I remember one time I was talking to a friend of mine. He um, he worked for a large suiting company that was based out of Naples. And he talked about, oh, we had a good year this year, but it's only because this house had a had a bad year. He's like, we never really gain new customers. He's like, maybe, you know, 10, 20 a year. We basically just take jabs at the existing customers that the other houses have. And he's mm-hmm. he's referring to suit companies. Mm-hmm. But he's like, there really hasn't been a, a time or a market for us growing like an entirely new customer. And that's what he was saying is like, yeah, because for him, he was referring to the brand they were doing that like suiting was kind of dying at the time. I mean, it's picked back up a bit, but he just talked about like, there, there was just not anyone new. And so it's like, well, you know this company didn't have that great of a year but we did and that that's because those people got bored with buying us and they just switched teams i mm-hmm. mean dead serious that was just yeah. all he had connected that stuff to and that's still kind of true on some of these folks um but the whole quiet luxury thing was just you had people all of a sudden trying to buy keton like on Keaton. ebay
1: keton's
0: Keaton. great yeah. keton's great it's keton's absurdly overpriced mm-hmm. someone at keton's going to be like no it's not I'm like yes it is the k50 is a total like rich person, you know, pulling the wool over your eyes. But mm-hmm. Keaton, I think is an incredible brand. This stuff's amazing. Uh, but you're not going to see me whining up for Keaton jeans, but it's still sick. <laughs> I'd wear them if someone gave them to me.
1: I mean, more in the women's world, but like, you know, I think what the row has done in the last 10 years has been remarkable as well, right? It's just like the, the row
0: is really, really good. It's, it's, it's the, the best, really best of the Yeah. But like, what is it about the row that's so good? I bought some row pieces, I put them on and I just look like Jeremy wearing the row versus a cool person. (laughs) It was bad. I couldn't do it.
1: What I'm trying to do with Another Tomorrow is really talk about luxury, but with sustainability. So it's a little bit different, but I love what the row has done where it's just about luxury, you know? Yeah. And they don't feel the pull. For the most part, they don't feel the pull to create product that they don't love. You know, they want to, what it seems to me that they're doing is they want to make the product that they want to wear. And I think a lot of creative people want to wear really simple product. And the thing that's amazing when you're only talking about luxury and it's, you know, quote unquote, quiet luxury, I hate to use that term, but is that you are using the best possible materials. So that button down shirt is going to be impeccable. That t-shirt is going to be impeccable. And it's such a joy to make clothes out of wonderful materials. I mean, it's it's phenomenally wonderful. Like it, It's just a, like this past 15 months of my life since I started Another Tomorrow has mm-hmm. been so incredible. Just the fact that I have gone to where we make the clothes and a kilometer away we grow the linen and seen the linen field that then is now the shirt that I'm wearing a year later is an experience that I've never had as a designer, nor did I ever think I would have that experience. Um, and I think that you know luxury brands can be much closer to the raw materials. They can be more selective because they don't have to deal with margins at the same level, et cetera.
0: Mm-hmm. But one thing, so like on Another Tomorrow, you mm-hmm. guys are very You don't hide the fact that you, like you have a literal whole column of sustainability and where where materials are used, materials you don't use, where you produce, et cetera. But a brand like, say, The Row doesn't have anything like that. And no one seems to care. Why is that?
1: They don't. But, you know, I think a brand like The Row and, you know, Laura Piana, Puccinelli, Hermes, like they're using the highest quality materials. So the partnerships are going to be really strong. They're going to be with people that are doing ethical production for the most part, you know, I mean, I would... Yeah. Yeah. Like, I don't
0: think it's, it's unethical. I'm not, not unethical. assuming that, yeah. but just.
1: I mean, I will tell yeah. you this, I'm working for a brand that has like the highest integrity, very mission focused. It is very challenging making clothes with all of our limitations. Mm. Um, a lot of fun because I like limitations and I also sure. like the fact that I now have sort of edited resources. So it makes decision making just more efficient. Um mm-hmm. And we can push to do a couple of things every season, but we really have to be really edited about the decisions that we make and very flexible um, because mm. things are changing all the time um, in our world. But it's just such a, such a pleasure to design product this way. It just feels like... I mean, what I always say is like I feel like anyone who is working in physical product, regardless of what that product is, should be thinking through the filter of sustainability as they're making product. Like they should be thinking about and questioning every part of the process to the design decisions they're making, sourcing decisions, how they're shipping the product, everything.
0: Yeah. Do you, do you look at other, I don't know, like, do you feel like that stuff should be more of like a standard or like a law that to exist to sell clothes in the United States, whatever you need to be meeting this criteria?
1: Yeah, I do. Yeah. I think I think you just take one sneak peek into like what's going on with discarded clothes in other parts of the world, and you're immediately horrified, and it changes your buying habits, or it should change your buying habits. I think that fashion is like a black hole. We don't know where our clothes come from. It's not like you buy a thing of arugula from the grocery store, and it says where it came from. Like, right. You know? What, what, you know, what Vanessa, our founder says is, you know, we're treating fashion as an agricultural product, which is accurate. We know where our raw materials come from. We buy directly from farms in Australia and New Zealand um, for our our wool supply. We send that wool to Italy. They process it for us and make cloth. Like it's down to, I mean, sheep are the only animal product that we use, but down sure. to the sheep or the plant, we know where everything comes from.
0: Yeah. And I, I think younger people assume that's the norm now, but older people are like, wait, huh? I mean, cause I, I definitely, it's, it's caused me to reconsider stuff that I've purchased or stuff that I, you know, like brands that I would patronize now. Cause I'm like, you know what? I don't even know what this brand does. And I don't want to give them a pass just because they're a, you know, they're a large house or they're a historic brand. I mean, shit, you look at, you know, to go on Louis Vuitton, like when Louis Vuitton was trying to expand and they were like popping all these different territories and all this stuff when they were doing made in USA things and made in this. And at one point it was just about distributing at mass. And so I'm sure some ethical corners got cut. It's just, you know, I mean, it's not like I'm trying to have like some sort of like false controversy here, but there's just some. Mm-hmm bullshit that I think a lot of people don't really go and examine now that I would love to become a standard. Yeah. No, I mean, I
1: think that there should be, there should be standards and companies should be held accountable. And, you know, we should all know where our clothes are coming from, where the raw materials are coming from, who's selling them, et cetera. And also the other thing, and I hate to say this, but there's a reason why, Clothes should not. Let me put it this way. Clothes should not be as inexpensive as people are accustomed to buying them. At like it should be. Clothes should be more expensive. It is not easy to make a shirt. You know we are yeah. we are conditioned to buy things for very low prices and to buy things on sale. But the cost of making that garment should be mm-hmm. more than it is. Like people should be pay, be paid fair uh, fair labor to like make a garment. I, there's just a lot of practices in our industry that especially in the more like mass part of the industry that I just think are horrible. Um, and you do five minutes of research and they're sort of appalled by the industry. And, and you know, it has really changed my, the more knowledgeable I am, the more I refuse to buy anything, even if it's like for my kids that are, you know, mass market produced. I will say that my older son is obsessed with soccer and that's like problematic because he only wears microplastics, but I don't really know what to do. <laughs> <laughs>
0: That's a good point. Yeah, there's quite a bit of that. Yeah, there. I
1: don't. I don't. Shit. No, I haven't figured out how to like solve that one yet. Yeah, he only wears like officially licensed soccer clothes. <laughs> That's it.
0: That's yeah. amazing.
1: It is amazing. Yeah.
0: Mm-hmm. No, but I mean, I'm with you. I think there's a lot of you know, because on one hand, th- this is where I like blame stuff like TikTok. In all honesty, where so I was with some some family members and they were talking about their Sheen hauls. No. And and I was like, and here's the thing. And like, I really try to be conscious of my own elitism, of talking down, of all that stuff. And I was like, oh, tell me about this. And they were like, oh, yeah, I got all these clothes. It's like for, for this much money. And like, it's awesome because I got all this stuff. And I was like, yeah, I was like, I think it, it might be worth researching How that stuff's made and where it comes from. Yeah, and one of them, I was a friend of theirs. Was like, oh no, there's this. They sent this friend, you know, they they sent this person that we follow to to like the Sheen headquarters, and they got to interview him, and they said it was so good. And I was like, hold the phone, are you sure? And they showed me what it was, and they showed me the influencer and all this. I mean, this this was like all in the New York Times and stuff recently too. And I'm like, that's no good. I'm like, it's clothes. It shouldn't be that fleece or whatever you got should not be three dollars it just can't not unless it was you know you got it at a thrift store that you know someone else bought and you got got it from goodwill you know or some sort of patagonia fine for i don't know five bucks mm-hmm. way to go congrats but i was like that just doesn't that doesn't feel right I mean, and i was i was trying to find a way to not get all high and mighty but be like this is fucked do not do this um it's tough
1: <laughs> no i mean i remember A number of years ago, when I was doing this athletic collaboration, and we had leggings that were $98. And one of my cousins said to me, um, Oh, I would love to wear those leggings. But like, that's too much money. Like, I don't spend money like that. You know, like, I buy my leggings at at Old Navy, which I totally understand, right? Um, Sure, sure. I think the the problem is that if you're buying something for a garment, you know that has multiple seams, trims, whatever, for three dollars, five dollars, ten dollars, you have to ask yourself like, is this too good to be true? Like, how is this being made? Yeah, and it's yeah, it's too good to be true. Like, it sh- things should not be that inexpensive. Um, like, I'm always sort of astounded by baby clothes. Um, like how, I'm like, how is this $12? You know, especially if it's like a baby version of an adult garment, like a baby button down shirt. I'm like, it still has the collar. It still has the cuffs. It still has the butt holes. Mm-hmm. You know, it's a lot of sewing in it. Um, yeah. I just think that we're conditioned to buy th- buying things really inexpensively. And it's, you know, it's hard because that's you know for a lot of people you know that's what they want to spend or that's what they can afford to spend. So you seem I think it comes across as elitist when you tell people like oh no you you know you should be spending more money on your clothes. But I think the problem is is when something is too good to be true it's generally too good to be true. So you shouldn't be getting like a whole wardrobe for a hundred dollars.
0: Yeah, there's there and there's yeah. not. I think the thing is when people are like oh it's discounted but there, there was a human capital discount. Like I think that's that's the thing to think about. It's like someone paid that discount for you to get it there was some sort of human capital thing where it was like yeah because labor was so cheap here or because they were able to do this or because they're not held to a standard of their wastewater or you know sure. i mean a lot of people have been using vietnam because there's some pretty great stuff that's happening over there but like it's it's tough because yeah i'm with you where i don't want to be oh i'm jeremy and i lived in new york and i you know worked at fashion and i'm going to be a dick where it's like no 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 like this is stuff that we should have conversations about And also to just normalize buying resale. Yeah, I mean, it's, yeah, it's, it's totally fine. to just, you know, especially kids clothes. I mean, my kids, yeah, they're all getting, we're just going and getting, I'm getting hand-me-downs from whatever, or I'm, you know, but like, I'm not really buying new clothes for the kids. Like, what's the point? You wear it for two months anyway.
1: Yeah. Yeah. That's how I feel about Um, my kids clothes too. Um, yeah. yeah. I mean, I think the other thing is when your clothes, when your new clothes cost as much as the clothes at the Goodwill, it's problematic. Right. Like when a shirt, like, I just don't understand how a shirt can be, maybe it's a little more expensive. Maybe it's like five to $10, but $15. I just like, how can a garment be that inexpensive?
0: Well, I was, the thing that I said that like, I think resonated a little bit is I was like, okay, I was like, what did you have for breakfast? And they were like, I don't know, like Captain Crunch. I was like, that Captain Crunch is like five or six bucks. Okay. I was like, so how is your shirt I was like more exp- you know, I was like cheaper than a box of cereal. I was like, there's there's something that doesn't add up. And they're like, oh well the cereal is made in the US and it's food. Food just costs more right now. I was like, cotton. What about all that? you know, I was like, there's so many things, but it, it was just yeah, I don't know. I don't know if it fell on deaf ears, but I'm I'm trying to at least help people ask questions about that. Um and maybe someone on TikTok will make the truth behind it, and then the then the younger kids will understand. I don't know. I'm but I'm, I'm
1: not on TikTok. I'm afraid of TikTok because I feel like if I get on it, I'll never get off it.
0: Oh yeah. <laughs> the, well, the, especially because it, it learns what you like, and so yeah. I just see like drywall repair yes. and people being idiots with you know. Like for a while, I was only seeing things. that's like, here's how to organize your fridge. And I'm like, that's a great idea. Oh my God. I should organize my fridge. I was like, I should get some plastic uh. containers to put my other plastic containers in. And then I could put some other plastic around that. And I was like, what the fuck is going on with me? Yeah, I would love TikTok that. For you.
1: I would love that. Like there's, yeah like, yeah. like, you know, vacuum marks on rugs, you know, like, <gasps> you know, just things that like add, like, I don't know. Clean talk. Is that what they call it?
0: clean talk yeah oh
1: like all every time people tell me about this stuff, or somebody told me that they do these like um people dissect architectural digest articles on tiktok and i was like oh, i would never get off
0: oh my god that's a great idea uh-huh. yeah jeez uh-huh. yeah, it's i don't know well anyway liz yeah i want to be very conscious with your time so but it, it was so great to to chat with you thank th- you thanks so much bye You've been listening to Blammo. Our show is produced by Blammo Media. We're edited by Amar Lall and our theme music, as always, by the mysterious Breakmaster Cylinder. If you like what you heard, share the pod with a friend, leave a review on Apple Podcasts or Spotify or whatever it is you're leaving reviews on. You can follow us on Instagram for all the hot content. If you want to talk to us and give us your hot take, we'd love to hear from you. You can call us. Actually, can you call us anymore? No, you can't. So... You can email us at info at blamopod.com. And if you want to hang with us and join the Blam Fam, visit patreon.com forward slash blamo, where we have tons and tons of exclusive episodes and our amazing Slack community, in addition now to exclusive shows from Blamo Presents Derek Guy to the Triple J Show. It's a wild world out there, so come on in. All right, that's it for me. I'll see you soon.